0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I'm going to invite you to the book of Job, chapter 33. Job, chapter 33. Let's stand together. I really am going to ask you to think all the way through this message just about the role of the missionary and the responsibility of the missionary and what it is that they do specifically and Job is a, a different place for it to come from, but I think you'll see it as the as we get through the text and, and work through it. So I'm just going, I'm going to read just a few verses, we'll read verses 23 through 29 and then we're going to... Go back and pick up the context for several verses before. But verse 23 says, If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him." And he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned, and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. I love verse 29, lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man we ought to be thankful for that let's pray and we'll try to understand this text tonight father thank you for the songs that have been presented the truth both the congregationals and and what we term the the specials as well and thank you that we we don't just gather around some inspiring thoughts but we gather around some eternal truths and Certainly eternal truths are inspiring thoughts but they are deeper and longer lasting than that and I'm grateful that that is true. Lord, thank you for this number of people coming out tonight when it's a Friday night, so many other things to do. Many of them probably have their traditions or habits or routines that they enjoy Friday night as a family and so many of those are good things. And yet this particular time, It's definitely worthy and worth it to come together for the sake of missions and give up a few of our nights and our routines and our good traditions for something that will give those in Germany and the UK an opportunity to enjoy some things for the first time in their lives that many of us have enjoyed every week of our lives. And so use the message tonight to further strengthen our understanding and our passion for what needs to happen uh, through these missionaries and even through our own work in our own communities. So use the message for your own honor and glory, I pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The the book of Job has, um, you know, it's it's a wonderful story. We're not going to recount all of it in depth. Just a reminder that Job has several things happen to him that God let happen to him in making a point to Satan or proving to Satan that Job was a faithful man and that he wasn't serving God just for the things that he had. He was serving God because he loved God. He was going to be faithful to God and so he finds himself with this immense amount of loss in his life. And so after the first couple three chapters... Job is sitting there with his three friends, and all of them are going back and forth, trying to explain to each other why this has happened or why this hasn't, why this hasn't happened. And it's this constant discourse from, from chapter two or three, basically, all the way up into around chapter thirty two, when Elihu is this young man who has been off to the side observing Job and his three friends reason out all of this and Elihu has some things to say to them about what they have said and about his own representation of God. And and so Elihu in chapter 33 is continuing to challenge Job about his view of the situation. Now we know that Job didn't sin in his approach towards God. We find that out in the closing chapter of the book. He hadn't sinned against God by accusing him unjustly, but it doesn't mean that all of Job's reasoning had been perfect. And so Elihu has been watching all of this and he has some things to say. And so we're gonna gonna pick it up in, in verse eight. And so this is Elihu speaking. Notice what verse eight says. Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing And I have heard the voice of thy words. Now let's stop for a moment. So Elihu is saying, Job, here is what I've heard you say. And so what we're getting ready to hear is, it's not directly what Job said, but it's what Elihu heard Job saying. So basically what we're hearing is is a, a summary of Job's argument. And so this is Elihu speaking to Job. When he says, thou hast spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words saying, and so verse 9 is he's he's not necessarily directly quoting, but he's summarizing Job's argument. So here's the argument that Job seems to be making. In verse 9, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent. Neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasions against me, He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my paths. So basically Job believes that God could be punishing him unjustly. Now because of other things that we have Job saying, Job is not trying to say, well I've never sinned in my entire life. He's simply simply conveying I can't see what I have done to deserve all of this. Now, to me, that could be a a fair argument. I mean, because God said he's a just man. And so Job is, he's not saying, I'm I'm this sinless person. I've never committed a sin in my life. This is all about the, 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 the treatment that he has received and him being a just man. And he's not able to make a link between the things that he has done and the things that has happened to him, All right? So it's not that I'm defending Job's complete innocence. I'm saying, I, I, I'm not gonna fault Job for saying this necessarily because he's trying, I mean, he's wanting to figure out, he didn't hear this conversation in heaven. They don't know exactly what, what has happened. He just sees the, the outside of it. And so, and so Elihu says, you know, Job, here's what, I hear you saying and so then in verses 12 through 14 this is so important that you realize the 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 context of this so please apply your your thinking caps here to, to where you can get this Elihu explains why man will not always understand what God does because that really is Job's problem Job's problem, or maybe not even problem, but his challenge is that he's having a hard time making sense of what God is doing in his life. And so Elihu explains in these three verses, we'll look at them, but I want to be sure you know up front what we're looking at. He's trying to explain why man will not always understand what God does. So in verse 12, now Elihu is speaking again. He says, behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. So here's the very first reason that Elihu explains to Job, you're not always going to be able to understand what God does first because God is greater than you. His ways are above your ways and you don't have his mind, you can't, understand exactly what he is doing because he's so much greater and what he does we really can't fathom because of his greatness so that's what he says in verse 12 in verse 13 he gives another reason why dost thou strive against him here's the second reason we don't always understand God for he giveth not account of any of his matters I mean God's not required to answer to me Elihu is saying God's not required to answer to you. You might be perplexed about what he's doing, but God does, he's not obligated to answer you. You can't say to him, God, why did you do this? God is not obligated to answer you at all about the why. He does not have to give account of his matters to man. But, But then in verse 14, he gives a third reason. So be sure you're tracking these. Verse 12, he says, I'll answer thee, God is greater than man. So that's the first reason. Verse 13, he giveth not account of any of his matters. Then verse 14, for God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. So now Elihu gives a third reason. He says, Job, the, the fact of the matter is sometimes God does speak and he does explain, but we don't get it. We don't understand it. We're not discerning the voice of God. That's what he says. He says, verse 14, again, God speaketh once. And sometimes God will even speak a second time, but yet man doesn't perceive it. So Elihu is giving a defense of God, not that Job is attacking God. Job's just saying, I can't make sense of what's going on. And so Elihu says, well... It might not make sense, one, because God is greater than man. It might not make sense because God's not obligated to explain it to you. But Job, it's it's possible, too, that God has said something, but you didn't perceive it. So in some ways, that's that's the outline of the next several verses from verses 15 through 22. So now what Elihu is going to do is give examples of his third point. When he says sometimes God speaks but we don't perceive it, it's as if Elijah says, now let me give you some examples of how God speaks and we don't always get it. So look at verse 15. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men in slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. So he he says man's kind of going along in his pride and and his purpose and whatever his, his life is and what he thinks he's supposed to be doing or whatever he chooses to do. And he says God comes along and he speaks to him in a dream. Now, this was valid back then because those were the days of open revelation. All right, open revelation, meaning God spoke directly to man. Now, we have the Bible, and so the revelation has closed. Now, the way that God speaks to us is through the Holy Spirit illuminating His Word. All right, so you can't go and say, well, God told me to do this. Well, the Holy Spirit can illuminate what's already been given. It's not that God speaks some new revelation, because otherwise you could say, well, I know something you don't know from God, and and that's not the case. God uses His Word and the Holy Spirit. But at, at this time, there was open revelation, and God would speak through a dream. And that's what he says in a dream, a vision of the night. When deep sleep falleth upon men in slumberings upon the bed, then he, meaning God, openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction. And so Elihu says, you know, Job, God does speak sometimes. He speaks and men don't realize it. It's in a dream and they may not realize that dream was something that God was trying to convey to them. And so that's one way that he says God speaks to them. Then in verse 18, he gives a second way that God speaks to men. An interesting way in verse 18, he keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. And so in this case, we would look at what he said right there as, man, that was close in an ac- a potential accident. And we might even say to somebody, maybe God was trying to get your attention or maybe God was trying to speak to me by protecting me from some danger, by protecting me from some harm. That's what he's conveying. He keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. He says God sometimes will try to convey some truth by saving man from a danger to the point that a man would want to hear, oh, all right, God, you... Thank you for that protection. What do you want me to get? What are you trying to get me to understand? And probably all of us have done that. I remember when I was and I went through um, a quadruple bypass surgery, you know trying to ask some questions, say, "You know Lord, I would really like if you have a point to make, I'd really like to get it. You know I, I, I need that, and I, I want to be sure that that I can understand what you are saying to me and what you're trying to do um, in, in that sense and and, and that's what God does to us sometimes. That he protects us from something that seemed like it was certain death or imminent danger. And then God protects us and we get the sense, you know, I think he was, God might be trying to get my attention about something. And then, so verse 19, he gets to a third one. And verse 19 through 22 is the opposite of verse 18. Notice this. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pain so that his life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat his flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out yea his soul draweth near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers this is the opposite this is this is that somebody is going through great sickness and and to the point of death or just undergoing this, these, these painful symptoms that he talks about or, or the challenges that this man is going through, this chastening upon also with pain on his bed, the multitude of his bones with strong pain and sickness comes. And, and in many ways, it, it's, it's similar to verse 18. It just kind of has the opposite, maybe psychological, spiritual effect that we are crying out to God Say Lord, why am I here? Please save me I, I will do whatever you want to do, but but please take care of this sickness or please take care of this of this discomfort, please take care of this and and it's God's way sometimes of speaking to man, so sometimes he speaks in something like a dream that that's what Elihu is saying to job. sometimes he speaks by keeping you from harm's way, but then sometimes he speaks through actual pain and sickness that that are all examples of God trying to speak to us, whether in a corrective way or trying to get our attention or or maybe just wanting to convey something for us to have a a change or alter our path, not even necessarily from a bad path to a good path, but just to alter our course as he might be wanting us to do. So all that we just talked about from verse 8 through 22, Remember is Elihu saying to Job, all right, Job, I know you can't quite figure out what's going on in your life, but it is possible that that God has spoken and you haven't completely understood him. But then he gives us another possibility and he explains something a little bit different in verse 23. Remember, we're talking about a man who's not understanding God. Verse 23 says, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter one among a thousand to show unto man his uprightness then he is gracious unto him and saith deliver him from going to the pit i have found a ransom and then he describes how his life can be like new again his flesh shall be fresher than a child's he shall return to the days of his youth he's talking about a fresh start here He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him, meaning God will be favorable unto the man. And he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. What verse 23 is saying is that sense can be made of life if there be a messenger with him. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And he says that this man can have a fresh start, he can hear from God and know the message from God if somebody conveys that to him and helps him make sense of that and that he can have what verses 24 and 25 and 26 describe. And he, and he even explains verse 27, in Eli, he is saying, you know, God looks upon men and if any will say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right and it profited me not, Then God will deliver his soul from going into the pit. You could think the pit of hell there. And his life shall see the light. Verse 29, again, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. Man does this, God does this over and over and over and over with men. And he's willing to do that. But somehow the man has to understand it. That that's what God is saying Now in the United States of America, there's a wealth of explanation of the things of God. Uh, I mean, a a few times we've passed the Barnes Noble bookstore there, and I know there's a lot of junk in there, but you can walk into that store, you can go to certain sections, you can find a Bible, you can find some, some books, some Christian books, that even though there would be some things, some elements we disagree with, you can easily go on Barnes Noble and find the gospel. You really can. In your car, you can turn on the radio and, and you can hear gospel stations. And, and there are churches, and I realize there wouldn't be that many, but, but there are churches other than Eastside. And, and again, I don't know how many or how few, but where there'd be plenty of things you would disagree with, but you can at least hear some, enough of the gospel to realize what God has done. But it's not near as plenteous in Germany and in the UK. You don't have churches everywhere that proclaim the gospel. You don't have a a prevalence or a, a plethora of a clear gospel witness and a message you don't have that there. You, you, you don't have that in, in, in certain places of Canada. You don't have that as clear, as, as prominent in Japan or, or Cambodia or India. And some countries may have more and some have less. But none of them have like we have in the United States of America. Yeah, that's, right. that's the reason I really want to labor on verse 23. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter one among a thousand to show unto men his uprightness. So I want to break that verse apart for the meat of the message tonight. And, and we'll, we won't do it directly in order, but it talks about a messenger. A messenger. A messenger carries a message, a particular message. I looked up the statistics today. As of right now, the current statistic as to the number of messages a day, the number of ads that we see or hear or one of our senses detects in a day is in excess of 10,000. Statistically, in the United States of America, by the time you put your head on a pillow tonight or any other American, they have heard over 10,000 messages. Somebody wanting somebody in this particular time of our culture to vote for them. I mean, I don't know how many political signs I saw today just driving. I wasn't looking for them, but every one of them was a message. Vote for this person or this person or this person for this office. And then this other one would be, you know, vote for this person, not this person. And and then when you think of, I mean, even, even going to... Uh, Seals, or, or in the surrounding stores, and you're and you're seeing you're seeing all of these signs everywhere that people are trying to promote their message or or their store, or they're trying to promote their brand. And even in in the store, then then you have you know you have all of the different segments, and all of these brands are competing against each other. And and the way that they present themselves, they're saying buy me instead of this one. I mean, there's message after message after message. We are in the information age, not an industrial age and there are messages everywhere your phone gave you so many messages today people wanting you to do this or to be here or or to say this or to buy this or, I mean, political systems want your vote. They want to promote their platforms. Businesses promote their products. Hollywood promotes their movies and they promote their shows. And education promotes their degrees and their beliefs. And sports promotes their teams. And, and all of these companies promoting their brands of this shoe. And we, we looked at shoes today and it's amazing. I me. Mean, one brand after another. All of them trying to present their message. We are bombarded with messages every day from people wanting us to do their thing and do their stuff. And somewhere in the middle of all of that babble is God with his own message, a more important message than all of those others combined. And what's interesting is he doesn't just have this message and he throws it out there. He has a specific message for him and for him and for him. Because God is a personal God. And he created each one of these. He created each one of you specifically and very deliberately and intentionally. And he has a message for every one of them. And the reason I say specifically is because one day his son went to Calvary And died on a tree and took the specific sins of everybody in this room, everybody in this community, everybody in this state, in our country, in our world. God is very acquainted through his son with the sin, the specific sins of every person that ever lived. He has a specific message for every one of them. And he died for every one of them. And he wants to bring a message of order to the middle of all the chaos that is in their individual lives. He has a message. But see what verses 8 through 22 was about is that, is that God speaks to man, but they, can't, they don't know. They can't detect it they're hearing 10,000 messages a day and like i said last night the or, or wednesday night the, the brains that they've that they've formed monday through saturday is the brain they have on sunday and, and and it's the same brain and their brains are so so accustomed to not really registering unless there's some dopamine behind it or there's something that makes it stand out among all of the others and they're used to getting all of these messages and and so many messages we just treat like a spam call when it comes on our phone as soon as it says spam risk man we're just turned off because we're not even going to pay attention to it and we're so accustomed to hearing all of these voices that we've learned to to just drown so many of them out and to just get rid of them and there are people in so many different countries the voice of God is just one of these thousands and thousands of voices and they can't detect that's God that's a voice that supersedes all the rest of these And there's this message. And thank goodness there have been some who have surrendered to be messengers for this message. And they specialize in being sure that men have a chance to hear that voice. That message. Out of all the other messages, and, it, and, and that's what the missionary is, the messenger, but notice the next two words, a messenger with him. Internet's not going to do it. I, I'm thankful for tracks. Obviously, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for radio and, you know, and some uses of television and, and all of those things. But let me tell you, there is no substitute For a man standing beside another man in his pain or in his confusion and being able to look him in the eye and have one-on-one conversation and say to him, can I help you understand what that says in the Bible? There's no substitute for a person standing next to another person, a messenger with the message from God, standing beside this person and being able to convey something to them right. and be able to interact with them. It is a messenger with him. Yes. That's what these two missionaries are. That's right. They're messengers that go be with them, yeah. with the people in that country. Amen. Then it says... An interpreter. Now, this is interesting. I I love the, when you start studying this word out, it's pretty interesting. In interpretation, the the unknown, we we know the the unknown, what we can't comprehend, what we can't hear. If, if, If Brother Padilla started speaking German to me, if he were up here and he's speaking German, now, he knows what he's saying. It makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to me. Because I don't understand German. And so it's not that it doesn't make sense. It does make sense. But to me it doesn't make sense. I don't know what sense it, it makes. So what an interpreter is. Let's say that he's standing in the middle. And I'm over here and all I speak is English. And on the other side is somebody who only speaks German. So they are speaking their German and I'm over here and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. You know, if if you're gonna you know, you're gonna speak something that I that I realize you're gonna say maybe hamburger in German, I can understand that. Maybe I would pick up on that. It's kind of like Mexican food. We the only Mexican words we know are the Mexican food items, you know, that we see on the menu, and that makes sense, but that's it. This German is this he's speaking German, the language, doesn't make any sense to me, but Brother Padilla is in the middle, and what's interesting is he understands both. He understands German and he understands English. And so he hears the German and then he translates that into English and then he tells me and now I understand the sense that it makes because until I had an interpreter I couldn't make sense of what I was hearing at all. Somebody has to understand both, don't they? That's what an interpreter is. They understand both. The missionary is the messenger from God with them that goes and lives in their culture and the missionary understands God because they've studied this book and they understand how God operates and what God intended life to be, but because they are living in the culture with the Germans or, or with those in, in the UK and they are among them, they are with them, they shop where they shop, they live where they live, they go to the places they go, they hear the things that they hear and they study their culture, but they are the interpreter who interprets what God says and everything that God says makes sense. It just doesn't make sense to somebody who knows nothing about God and so the messenger with him the missionary is the interpreter who interprets what God has to say to the one living beside them on that street and then that person can begin to realize oh this problem that I'm having in in my family I just thought that the way the culture told me my family was supposed to be structured that that's what I was supposed to do that's all I knew but yet the messenger who is with him says, let me be an interpreter and interpret the things of God because God can make sense of the family. And and let me explain what he said and I'll bring it down into into your language or to your circumstance and apply it to, to what It seems to be chaos to you. I can bring order to that chaos because I understand both. And because the missionary is with them and talking with them about their family and observing them and and spending time with them, they realize, man, that is, that's messed up. I I realize you've got some struggles. I understand what you are going through, but I also understand what God can do for you. And the messenger brings the message and, and interprets what God has to say to them so that they can get it. So he's the messenger with him, an interpreter. And then look at the end. To show unto man his uprightness. Now, you have to be sure you understand the whole context because if, if, if you're not thinking that way, you'll say, well, show to man his own uprightness? No, to show to man God's uprightness because he goes on and says, then he is gracious unto him, continuing with the he And so God is the one who brings the change about here. And it wasn't man's uprightness itself. It was God's uprightness and what God can do for him and do to him. And so the messenger comes and shows them who God is and God's uprightness even through Jesus Christ as we would now understand. And he highlights the goodness of God, not of man. And he's he's not trying to tell them how good he is. That's what so many of the other religions do. He's going to show unto man God's uprightness. And that's what the messenger with him does. So what's the results of the messenger, the the missionary with him? Well, once he's able to show this to man, then verse 24 says, then he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Man's uprightness isn't the ransom. God's uprightness is the ransom. Once a man realizes, man, I, I did it my own way. I mean, the, exactly what verse 27 says, he looketh upon men, God does. And if any, if any says, because the messenger with him brought him the message, if any man will say, man, I've sinned. I've perverted that which was right and I realized that wasn't where the answer was. It profited me not I need God. I need the uprightness of God, the ransom that God provides. And and he has the opportunity to take what the missionary, the messenger with him brings this message, interprets what God had to say into his life. The man gets it and he realizes, man, I have been wrong. This is what I need after all. Then verse 28, he will deliver his soul from going to the pit and his life shall see the light. And the, the missionary is the one who helps them understand who God is and what he's doing in their life. And, that, and then we already highlighted it in verse 29. Do you realize God wants to do this over and over and over and over again? And he, he's done it for us. I hope he's done it for you. If you've asked, that, that's essential that you've come to that point and realize I need him. I can't get there on my own. I've done it my way and it's not right. I need his way. And I, I trust everyone in this room has done that, but God wants to do it for everybody in Germany too yep. and in the UK and in Japan and in Canada. He wants to it. he's willing to do that. that. That's why we need to realize the rest of verse 23 that we haven't covered. Here's the challenge. Missionaries are one among a thousand. They're one among a thousand. How many true messengers do you believe God has in Germany? How many messengers do you believe that God has in the UK that are sold out to deliver God's message directly and truthfully? There's not many. There's very few. And as a matter of fact, churches are not pumping out missionaries like a factory these days. Very few churches are. I, I think about Bible Baptist and realize, man, we've you know we've had a a few go. But I yeah, I sure feel like that we're not where we ought to be. Thankfully you've just sent out Brother Ruckman and, and you have you have, have that in, in mind, and yet I'm I'm sure that that with what we're seeing, one among a thousand, it'd be like, boy, it'd sure be nice to see some people that are in a church like this and have the preaching that you get week after week after week and enjoy what you get to enjoy. You'd have to think that there's some sitting here right now that God wants and is calling to go to the mission field. Yes, right. yep. He wants you to give the rest of your life to be one among a thousand. Yeah, right. You know what, church? Because there's... Typically, one among a thousand. And I mean, you look among churches, the the vast majority of churches in America have never sent out a missionary. Even the majority of independent Baptist churches have never sent out a missionary. It's one among a thousand. But when we find some that are willing to go because they're one among a thousand, we have to get them there. Yes, sir. Amen. Right. There's not, our churches aren't filled with Padillas. And Hendricks. Are they? I mean, look around. How many are willing to go? Now, how many has God called out of here? Or God called out of Bible Baptist? There's not a bunch. So when when your pastor brings somebody and says, here, here's some, through their churches and where they've been, they have decided to go. And now they sit amongst you. And we have the messengers that are willing to go be with them and they're going to be the interpreter and they're going to take that all important message that God has and and going to help them understand that message but there's so few of them we must do everything we can to get them there. It's the reason that your faith promise needs to be strong and getting stronger and stronger because you, you, will, you will find your pastor will come across more that, okay, a lot of churches that, that, that aren't putting out any, but when we come across some, that he's probably gonna have them come and you're gonna have them at another missions revival or have them during the year. And there'll be times it'll say, you know I really believe that we ought to support these right here. It seems like they're gonna try to be what what verse 23 is saying that they ought to be and they're going to do that and it needs to be able to say, okay, we've, we've got enough money because our people are giving faithfully and passionately. When we find the one among a thousand, another one, then we're going to be able to send them. Yes. Yes. Because we have such a strong faith promise missions program yes. to be able to send when we do find one among a thousand. But thank goodness that's all it takes is one among a thousand. I'm thankful for that, that one missionary can go to a country and and they always tell you the population and it just seems astronomical compared to how many missionaries are going. But but it, it is amazing how many people one missionary can affect. The odds are so stacked against us that we've got to be willing to give our time and resources for the one among a thousand. But I want to end with the first word of verse 23. If. If. It's not a given. It's only if Germany has the messengers. It's only if UK has the messengers. It's only if India has the messengers. If they have them, then they can be delivered from the pit. But if they don't have the messengers... They may never hear the message. No interpreter to explain to them, listen, God has been speaking to you, but you just haven't haven't heard it. You You haven't discerned it. If there's not a messenger with him, if there's not an interpreter, if there's not somebody to show them God's uprightness, if there's not even one among a thousand there, then there will be no deliverance from the pit. And there will be no chance for them to hear the Word of God. Now, let me ask you something very point blank. Are you part of the one or the 999? There's several applications to that. Because everybody in here is either part of the one or the 999. Now, I'm thankful I have pretty good confidence that, that at Eastside most members are involved in Faith Promise. Yeah. I, I, would, I would have to believe that for you to have the, the growth in Faith Promise that, that you've had, which is, which is amazing. It's incredible. Yes. But there might be some here who you're still part of the 999. Because oh. uh-huh. if you're not part of the one... That is trying to be sure the one among a thousand gets there, then you're part of the 999. Right? You're not. You're not the ones sending them. This this church, churches like this very church, needs to be able to say because there are so few churches that really give a whole lot to missions, or the way they do it is. Is like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be contrarian here, but but being more like the Southern Baptist Convention where you send into the cooperative program and then they decide where the money's gonna go and some of it's gonna go to a Bible. I, I say a Bible because it's gonna go to a seminary and gonna go to a lot of a different liberal institutions and a few good institutions where instead you get to send money through and every bit 100% goes to the missionary. I'm telling you, with all the Baptist churches in the United States of America, there's not many like this and therefore, this kind of a church needs to have a complete saturation of people who say, there are so few who are willing to get the one among a thousand there. We're going to be 100% involved. Yeah. That every member of East Side would be part of the one instead of the 999. But you know, there's another application. At, at your work or in your circle, you're either acting like the 90, 999 that need to be reached or you're acting like the one who is the messenger with the people at your work. Right. That's right. It's not just Germany. It's fill in the name of your company. Fill in the name of your school. Fill in the name of your ball team. That God wants to speak to them. And your company probably doesn't have a whole lot of people that are willing to be the messenger for God. As a matter of fact, I imagine most of your companies, the places you work, it's one among a thousand. Are you the one? Or is there going to have to be somebody else there, maybe from some, maybe from a charismatic church, who's willing to be the one? I'm telling you, we need to really be honest tonight. God... I want to be part of the one. I don't want to be part of the, the, the others. We, we, we need to be sure that churches like ours are realizing that the odds are stacked against us and we need to be fully involved. So I leave you with that challenge. That's the missionary. is thank you for going. Thank you for being one among a thousand. Yes. Hendricks, thank you for doing that. Both of them could have been plenty comfortable at, at their churches. But they're going to step out and be one among a thousand and we ought to be grateful. Amen. But our gratitude will be expressed by doing everything we can here to be sure that the one among a thousand gets there and that we are being our own one among a thousand in our places. Let's stand together every head bow. Father, we ask that you would through the Holy Spirit, make application where it needs to be. Lord, I'd, I would assume most of those that I'm talking to tonight are giving to faith promise. I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to speak to those maybe that haven't decided to do that yet or, or maybe are new and and are being honest and very sincere about whether to get involved or not because it might be unfamiliar with them. Um, and, and, then, and then some maybe who have justified some things in their minds, but that maybe they would give a second thought to that tonight. Because you have brought a couple families that are one among a thousand to be messengers in places that we won't be but places that need messengers, interpreters to show them your uprightness and what you've done for them so that there can be a ransom. Lord, I I pray that that whether it is those who need to start giving or those that need to see the significance of it and, and should be willing to increase their giving or maybe those that are giving but really, in this community, they act more like part of the 999 that need to be reached instead of the one that is trying to reach. Lord, I pray that this church would not just be a church collectively of the one among a thousand, but its members would be one among a thousand in Sioux Falls and that they'd act like it. Lord, use this invitation to accomplish your purpose and plan, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.